Hello, and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. And Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show. And Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed. And if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello, this is co-host Jack Rossner-Munley, and welcome to this all-new, well, kind of all new episode of Close Talking. Uh, This is actually a bit of an extension of the conversation that Connor and I were having in our last episode about Don Choi's poem, Shitty Kitty. Um, These are a couple of pieces of that conversation that didn't make the first episode. A little bit of a rant about foreign policy decisions that the United States government has made. And Connor brings that all back into the poem really wonderfully. And we also touch a little bit on uh, how those histories echo into the present. And we also look at some portions from the report that was uh, put together by the subcommittee uh, investigating what had happened on the Kitty Hawk and also on another uh, U.S. Navy ship in the early 70s. And spoilers for a little bit later in this episode. It's pretty bad. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this extension of our conversation about the poem Shitty Kitty, and I hope you'll go back to the previous episode and hear uh, kind of our full discussion of the poem. Uh, Here's the episode. I think that that something that's happened, um, you know, where it's like, this is like a crude way of putting it, but it's like, it's not enough or it's been overdone, or it plays into it somehow to simply represent something so horrific as as a war or a massacre, Um, that that kind of bearing witness to, which also of course is like what she's engaging with, like is her father was a, a principal witnesser and documenter of these wars um, is like, how do you, you know, to the point where now it's like, okay, (laughs) you know, the US, right, as you were saying, it's like, is handles journalists well, and they go embedded, and then the public, you know, right, is like, 
somewhat content to let the war in Afghanistan go on for 20 years, right? Um, I mean, that's that's part of the consequence of whatever way these wars are being represented is like the catastrophic suffering that they cause are not um, A, being held accountable, but B, creating any consequences for the people who are, you know, supporting it tacitly or explicitly, you know, in terms of either the, the, the actual leaders who are like, or the generals or the politicians or, you know, the public of the country that's, you know, um, signed off to it and reelecting the people who keep, um, okaying this crap, um, to the point that you end up with a vocal minority that are upset that a 20 year endless engagement that has gone far beyond any discrete goal, they're furious it's ending. Yeah, which is totally insane. Which is what? Hang on a second. There's a whole book about this <laughs> by a, a very intelligent gentleman named Stephen M. Walt. It's called The Hell of Good Intentions. America's foreign policy elite and the decline of U.S. primacy, and it's basically about how the same jabronis rocket around the halls of power, no matter how badly they fucked up in the past, and they somehow continually get a pass for it. So you end up with all these Vietnam-era ding-dongs like <laughs> Donald fucking Rumsfeld and Colin Powell to a much lesser extent, but you know Dick Cheney. And Donald Rumsfeld then become the architects of the U.S. invasion of Iraq and continued occupation of Afghanistan. These indefinite forever wars that are only now being extricated from. But it's the same people. It's the same people. Mm -hmm. And then on lower levels, it's also the same people who yeah. are just wrong over and over again and decide that like, oh, we need a surge in Afghanistan in 2008 or nine, which by the way, Joe Biden opposed the surge in Afghanistan. So he's been like on the, let's get out of Afghanistan train for a long time. So, to his credit. To, to his credit. To his credit. Um, As a side note, there's a rare, I did a rare tweet. Well, I guess I've been tweeting more than lately, but um, the digs, one of their latest episodes has, um, Adam Johnson and Eric Levitz on, and they talk about the kind of media's shit show about Afghanistan. And it was hilarious. I mean, it was horrifying and interesting, the episode, but it was also hilarious because they're very lefty, lefty people. And they were constantly <laughs> being like, I don't usually be siding with Biden, but well, okay. Um, here we are now. And they were kind of working through their anxieties about it, which was, I found sort of amusing. Um, but it's true. I mean, they, they brought that up too. And it's like, it's so bizarre that it's, it's like Biden and the, the like Biden team. <laughs> and then the, the progressives, who are like, okay, we got to get out. And then everyone else on all sides from, from the conservatives to the libs are just like, rah, rah, rah. and obviously they, they have different tenors and 
you know, the right's more horrifying. But. I think it's mostly the right and then a bunch of folks who just aren't paying attention. It's the yeah, people but... who vote based on how they feel that particular election cycle about a particular person or like the sense they've gotten about something like, yeah, it just seems like it's not going well in Afghanistan. You know, like it just doesn't seem like, like I don't have the time to pay attention to it. And there are plenty of people who have very valid reasons that they're not paying that much attention to, you know, global politics or even, you know, the like whatever. But I think the people who are really mad about Afghanistan and think that it was the biggest like fuck up crisis to leave after 20 years of continual fuck up crises are like folks who just never pay that much attention and see the same clip of people running for an airplane on cable news or hear really perfectly reputable journalists like Clarissa Ward, who is quoted in these weird right wing videos with these clips of her saying if this isn't failure i don't know what it is and like all this kind of stuff hmm. which is like i'm sure if you're there in it it's a super valid perspective because it's an incredibly chaotic and tenuous position to be in trying to reach the Kabul airport like it's not like that's easy or good but it is yeah. the best of all the shitty things that are happening so like what does well, that tell you yeah i well, don't know it, yeah. that it's not a failure that it's like awful sure that it's dangerous, of course, but it's not a failure. It yeah. is, you know, the belated extraction after decades of involvement and hundreds of thousands of deaths. Like, yeah, it's going to suck shit. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I know. So, which is all to say... <laughs> Something's gone horribly wrong with the way we represent war and all that that involves. And the other thing, too, is that there's so many parts of war and the representation of war itself is like, you know, like, you know, as like with the embedded journalism is like part has become more entwined or like the relationship between us military and hollywood it's like it's it's become more enmeshed in one another and Ooh, so you want a fun enmeshment oh i don't think so so the uss kitty hawk was decommissioned in 2009 right uh -huh. replaced by the uss george hw bush which makes a fair amount of sense he was the president he was a navy pilot whatever guess what the uss george w bush's call sign is what avenger oh no they <laughs> it's one big feedback loop god fucking also in the way that war is represented the fucking bush administration kept it from kept press from having access to coffins coming home from the war so that you just wouldn't see you literally wouldn't see the cost in young lives that these military follies halfway around the world were having. And then conservatives 20 years later get mad when Joe Biden, whose son was in the military and died later goes and meets military families and everybody can fucking see it because Obama was like, Hey, maybe people should see this because it sucks. And then no, we're mad about that for some reason also because of stupid 
<laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. It makes me so mad that everybody who didn't want to go to war was right all along, obviously. Yeah. And then the group of people who were wrong at some point between 2016 and 2020 were like, actually, these wars seem really awful and I don't like them either. And also Donald Trump doesn't seem to like them because now we obviously know they were a bad idea. But then all of a sudden, as soon as Joe Biden's around, as soon as we're actually going to get the fuck out, they're like, um, actually, you sold our country to the Taliban and we fucking hate you for doing the one good thing that four years ago we thought was a good idea and also was Donald Trump's deal. But now we're <laughs> going to just say that it was you disingenuous fucking lame fucking not paying attention fucking oh i don't like the way that this feels and the u.s military as soon as there's like one death we should just blow up every afghan city and wipe it off the face of the earth which by the way speaking of the korean war that was douglas macarthur's genius solution he wanted to have control over like dozens of nuclear warheads to just blow up the entire thing. That's one of the main reasons that Truman fucking decommissioned him and set him off to like go rot in whatever place he spent the rest of his life being like probably a rich retired general. I don't know. I tried to read the biography of him. It's like hundreds of pages long. He just seems like kind of a ding dong. I don't know. So mad about it. I'm 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 mad too, man. I'm mad too. Given all of that, you yeah. know what I mean? And then given the fact that this poem and this book are about Korean War, Vietnam War, um, from a long time ago, and that, you know, part of the problem is this kind of forgetting or this amnesia about ding-dongs and atrocities, um that allowed the them to happen again it's like i don't know i'm just like that's a whole whirlwind of things and when i read this poem and when i read the book hardly war it's it's like trying to throw those all in the air in a way but then also in this tone that's at times very jarring and, and different where it's like the I, I, sir, it's like, it's like a bunch of people who are like taking commands and doing I, I, sir, and like, and forming this chorus. And it's like this kind of performance, but then like the result, you know, is all this violence um so it's like at the one hand this totally like weird distanced bureaucratic logistical operation where they have these you know bullshit techno jargon like uh military discipline tempered with humanitarianism um whatever that means um and then you have, you know, the financial costs of massacres or whatever. But then the people who are actually doing it, you know, like doing the violence, doing like making the war are, you know, and in this case, sailors on the aircraft carrier. The last thing, which sort of ties into this history question 
uh, is just in like researching and preparing for this, I did, as I mentioned, I found the report by the Special Subcommittee on Disciplinary Problems in the U.S. Navy from 1973, because the violence on the Kitty Hawk was not the only incident. As I mentioned, there was this other incident, incident on the Constellation, and this was like an issue that the Navy was dealing with generally as the Navy became more diverse. But it's not a long time ago. It's 1973. So number one, the fact that the Navy is only becoming more diverse in the early 70s is like horrific in itself. But the first, um, so there's different sections to this report. Section one, part B is opinions. And just check out this number one opinion. There are ones later that are like about how the Navy should have foreseen this and been more proactive about the fact that it was becoming more diverse and all this other stuff, the number one opinion, and there's a lot of stuff within these that is not great. Here's part one, section B, the very first of several opinions. The subcommittee is of the position that the riot on Kitty Hawk consisted of unprovoked assaults by a very few men, most of whom were below average mental capacity, most of whom had been aboard for less than one year, and all of whom were black. This group as a whole acted as, scare quotes, thugs, which raises doubt as to whether they should ever have been accepted into military service in the first place. Oh, now, shit. Right. Wow. That is like, right. Yeah. There's so much going on in there that is just wildly racist and couched in this very like, well, no, we considered every angle of it. And this is very objective and for sure. Um, when, of course, if you read the accounts of the people who were involved in this stuff, it's something as simple as being like continually disrespected and uh, like made fun of and called horrific racial slurs and having violence threatened against you and being a significant minority on the ship and then being constantly put in settings where you're being devalued and degraded. Um, and that reaching a breaking point for different people and so this guy wants two sandwiches and when he is repeatedly like forced to only have one and takes a second one and then it becomes this whole thing like it is such a racist and uh you know just disingenuous framing of what was going on and that is like the official record from the congressional subcommittee jesus christ that a bunch of you know elected officials and staffers had to agree on as the record of the subcommittee in a report that also like lays out a lot of what happened in these two instances the the unprovoked provocations (laughs) exactly like that none of that is considered provocation or even if it was by some low-level staffer, they didn't have enough influence to get that in the final report. So yeah, the subcommittees of the position that the riot on Kitty Hawk consisted of unprovoked assaults by a very few men, most of whom were below average mental capacity. Jesus Christ. Most of whom had been aboard less than a year, all of whom were Black. Jesus. And also then in the next sentence, we're going to call them thugs. Like... Oh, really? Man. 
Yeah. Um, to the subcommittee's credit in number four, they say the statement that riots, mutinies, and acts of sabotage in the Navy are a product of quote unquote, the time is not valid. If those in positions of authority who profess such arguments really believe them, they have been negligent. And it goes on to say that they should have been more proactive about like having a, having a more integrated like force, but mm -hmm. that's not a lot. Yeah. Especially when you open when you're first that's your first opinion. Yeah. It's, wow. That's I mean, you can up. see why this is like only 20 years away from you know the crime bill where it's you know, we gotta watch out for the super predators. You can see the the way yeah. that this language lives on and it's bad. Anyway, just as a historical note, and as we often do, <laughs> noting the like amount of time that has passed since certain thing certain things and just how recent a lot of this is like the history that this poem is talking about is barely 50 years ago you know yeah yeah uh, man yeah shall we read it again let's read it again this is shitty kitty by don me Choi. Here comes Shitty Kitty en route to the Gulf of Tonkin, or en route to a race riot. That is the question. And meanwhile, discipline is the keystone. And meanwhile, did you see on TV helicopters being ditched into the sea? That is also my film. And meanwhile, all refugees must be treated as suspects. Looking for your husband? Looking for your son? That is the question. And meanwhile, she was the mother of the boy. Or that is what the translator said, or shitty kitty, or shall we adhere to traditional concepts of military discipline tempered with humanitarianism? That is the question. And meanwhile, South Korea exports military labor left over from the war. That is also my history. Or is that your history? That is the question. And meanwhile, chorus, Director Park director chorus dictator park chung hee and his soldiers in ray bands how much 7.5 million equals per division or bin tai massacre equals 7.5 million or bin hoa massacre equals 7.5 million or dian nian fuk bin massacre equals 7.5 million or Go die massacre equals 7.5 million, or Ha Mai massacre equals 7.5 million, or Fong Ni and Fong Nat massacre equals 15 million, or Tay Vin massacre equals 7.5 million, or Vin Chuan massacre equals 7.5 million, or Mighty History? That is the question. And meanwhile, a riot began over a grilled cheese sandwich at Subic Bay. Discrimination? Or perception? That is the question. And meanwhile, the sailor refused to make a statement or translate? That is the question. And meanwhile, 26 men, all black, were charged with assault and rioting. And meanwhile, did you translate? That is my question. And meanwhile, Larder Crisco. Aye, aye, sir. 
anti-chorus. Kittens in frilly white bonnets, bibs and mittens. Kitty song. I, 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 sir. I, crazy daisy, sir. I, export quality, sir. I, grill, grill, sir. I, meow, meow, sir. I, kitty litter, sir. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Rossiter Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.